Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Catholic Stuff You Should Know, focus on the you. A J10 initiative. The only J10 initiative, as we should say. Is it the only J10 initiative? It is. Six years, here we are, we still still have one. Uh, This is uh, Father John and Father Mike coming at you from... Roma, Roma Bella Roma, where Segway tours are in. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people with these uh, reflexive vests and helmets. I don't know how hard it is to ride that thing, but you don't have to wear the helmet, do you? I don't think so. And really, do you need the the? My favorite is at the airport. You go to Fumicino Airport, and these like really serious looking guys. They got their kind of cool Italian Regazzi haircuts. And they're just cruising around like I gotta get to Concourse B right now. You know they're not doing anything. They're, they're not doing the jack. They're not doing anything. But Father Father Nathan wanted to come out and take a Segway tour, and he said he was going to wear spandex during the day and leather at night. That's how you ride on oh the Segways, boy. and that's a scary thought. I'm glad he went back. We never let him out. rent one for that reason. So. I'm nervous about the leather. Yeah, that's a scary thought, but uh, that might be sharing too much, but what has that ever stopped us in the past, right, you know, Father Nathan? I saw some leather pants in town today. What do you think? Okay, so uh, I'm growing out facial hair, and it's not getting good reviews. Well, you got one good review that you're banking on, which could last for a while. Maggie Cure likes your mustache. I think she's lying I think she's just said straight that. up. I, it's true, but I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you take what you can get with a bad so, facial hair. I don't. So, tell me about the mustache here. I mean, like, what is it? You grow the stash, and you're thinking to yourself, "I'm legitimate now." Well, know? no, it's not much. I'm thinking. a scholar. Not much thinking. I'm kind of an idiot. If there was a contest for idiocy, I would uh, rank pretty highly. Maybe first runner up. I uh, <laughs> managed to drop my. Uh, Permessa di Sojourner is like the green card oh, yeah. in Italy. I managed to drop it down a storm drain. I take half responsibility for that. I was telling you to insert it into this machine the opposite way, and you have yeah. shaky you have shaky hands. Anyways, I, I should have known. Don't try and help somebody with shaky hands. It was late night, so I take I take half responsibility. But well, you rescued it today. Yeah, we did. I took uh, Father Chris Levsock. And it was like MacGyver stuff, man. I loved it. It was total MacGyver. It was like we had that roll of duct tape, a rope, like a climbing rope, and (laughs) five Swiffer sweepers. We made this huge extension with with the duct tape on the end and then rescued the card from deep inside the grate. I'm impressed you did it. I'm impressed you did it. Now... This is what we do. If people are wondering, what are these guys doing in Rome all the time? We're rescuing Permesso de Sojournos. Now, oh, yeah. they don't understand the um, the hell you would have gone through to try and get another one of these. Well, that's the trick. This is your residency card in Italy, which I still haven't received. I've been here for six months. And, so, and but, you're, you're not supposed to be allowed to leave the country or come back in if you don't have it. If you don't have a permission. Obviously, they don't have much oversight That's because right. you definitely left and came back. But if it so happens that you dropped it down a storm drain last night, no matter, even that there's not much oversight, you're in trouble. Well, so. you have to go through this grueling process of... They make you watch a video about where to send your kids to school. I don't have any kids. Yeah. That was hilarious. Like I was sitting in the, about apartment life. You can't have a chicken. Yeah, where to slaughter your chickens. 
where to pick up your free contraceptives. That was part of yeah. it. And I'm sitting there with like missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's sisters, and we're just watching this video. It was like seven hours to go through yeah, that thing. It's it was too much. Was you got to MacGyver that thing out of the. You MacGyvered it. You did it. Yeah. Thanks you, to Chris Lab. So thank, thank you. He is kind of a MacGyver. So. Oh, it was fantastic. And yeah. everybody's looking at us like, what are you doing? What are, are they doing? What are they doing? Trying to break into that building. Did they come out of that uh, seafood restaurant next door and <laughs> yeah. look at you and stare at you? It was a little awkward. But yeah. I'm glad that Father Chris was up game for it, you know? He was. He's always down. Yeah, that's true. All right, well. So what do you think here? We're still in kind of jet lag mode, but uh, I'm I'm excited to hear what uh, Father Mike has uh, well, I didn't geared up wanna, for us. It was hard to... To stop talking about the last uh, topic, hmm. we were talking about humanism. Right. We take a break, finish the podcast. We go. We go on, and we're still talking about it for right. fifteen minutes. We're just like talking about the same the same topic as if we were on. Right. You know? As if and, someone was recording us. And I was going to continue this potentially, but I okay. think that we're going to put it off. Okay. Um, it's a great topic, and I'm looking forward to continuing. But um, I've got one that uh, I was wanting to bring up. I feel like that was what all of my girlfriends said to me in high school right there. I was oh, like, yeah. this it's is great. Really great. I look forward to continuing it, but we're not going to continue not you, it. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. I understand. My topic wasn't that great. It wasn't that sexy. I mean, it's, it's okay. You know? Can you say, no, it really was. Um, can you say, it's not me, it's you when you're can breaking I, up? Can you say that? Why can't you say that? Like, I, you, I don't like you. I'm breaking up because <laughs> I don't like you. I, but but it is you. I don't like you. That's why you can't say it's not you. It's me because it's me and you. I happen to not like you, which is why I'm breaking up with you. Yeah, right. Follow what I'm saying. It's not just you. It's you and me. All right. Well, that, I I don't think that's legitimate, and it's completely overused. That's the other problem. It's just kind of rude, I guess, if you say, you know, this isn't working because you're. An idiot. You or, won't shave your mustache. I don't like you. I don't like your mustache, and yeah, I fear that it's going to come back. Yeah, the um, yeah, everything comes These back to them. everything comes back to the know. mustache. We don't know the rules. Honestly, I think that we, you know, we realize that uh, mustaches, these questions that we think over philosophically, women just have this kind of common sense, you know, other than Maggie Cure, who just wanted to tell you she liked your mustache. Please, t- uh, we please don't, follow up with that if you really like the mustache. We don't, uh, we don't have women in our life right now, and uh, parishes are chock full of them. And they tell you, they tell you, they shoot straight with you. And yeah. It's kind of nice. It's like, what are you doing with that mustache, Father Mike? You yeah. need to shave that mustache. But well, here, okay, it- so let me explain. <laughs> I go home, you know, everybody's clean shaven in, in Rome, I think, you know, for the most part. Or they have like a little scruff. I go home to Colorado and there are some huge beards. Yeah. Everywhere I look, there's huge beards. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to bring this back. Out of love for my people, I'm bringing this back to Italy. Oh, so you're bringing that back. So I, I tried. I didn't bring back much. The problem is, is the mustache is kind of a hipster thing now. Yeah. So you're bringing, back hip, you're bringing back the hipster thing to Rome, which hasn't really hit her. This is where people are still rollerblading. And, you know. Well, they're wearing like Converse and tight pants. Yeah, but it's not Colorado hipster That's or true. Brooklyn hipster, from what I hear. Or Berlin has hipsters, from yeah. what I was told by some Swiss people recently. I so. think uh, the thing in, in Italy, though, is that you have to look good. 
Yeah. You know, even if you're wearing tight pants at Converse, you got to look good. Yeah. I mean, and if you're just trying to be like unique or goofy or something, you don't look good. No. Why would you do that? Yeah. You can't do that. I mean, the men in this country accessorize more than Sinit Seleski, our friend, and that says a lot. You know, it's, yeah, they, they're big on your scarf. How does your scarf kind of fit over your? Yeah, the uh, shoes and the socks. And it's the... weird. All right, well, let's get down to real life here. Let's do it. We're, Catholic stuff you should know. Let's get into some Catholic stuff. Do you know this one? Resucito, resucito. <laughs> Are we doing this? Seriously. Have we done this before? We have not. Yes. Okay, good. So my topic, if you you may have anticipated, well, Father John might have, is five things I've learned from the neocatechumenal way. Whoa. Interesting. Five things. I mean, I've learned a lot. I have benefited a lot from the neocatechumenal way. But I got five, kind of my top five of the things that I think are um, really well done in uh, the genius of this movement. Kiko Okwara. Okay, so what is the neocatechumenal way? You give us a little. Are you rundown. asking me? Yeah. So I spent the last two years working with, working very closely with neocat priests who don't like to be called neocats. They yeah, they don't to, like that. But when we call them neocats, they would call us Vianney dogs. We and don't cat. call you Vianney dogs. Why do you call us neocats? Sorry. Cat is cool. Cat's cool, man. Yeah, It's like with a K. That. I want to tell them. In a Z, maybe. Uh, after two years of working with the neocats, living with them, uh, praying with them, talking about the way, I realized I know nothing about this. And I actually know less now after two years than I did when I started. So with that being said, I could say a few things, but I don't know much. Well, I'll give you just a quick history. Though. Go for it. Yeah. So this is, I, I mean, if there are, there, there are a lot of neocatechumenal way Catholics right now, right? There's About a million, they a say. A million, over yeah. a million. Over a million. World. A million in 2007. So there's going to be a lot now. And, um, over 40,000 communities in parishes around the world. Unbelievable. So some of you neocatechumenal way Catholics are, I don't even know if that's not the right term. It's hard to come up with I don't with think they'd like that. It's just Catholics, you know, in the neocatechumenal. Okay, so uh, if you're listening, you might be upset with my history because you all know it very well, and I don't. But 1964, it's founded by Kiko Arguello. E- who And? who was not Carmen yet. Oh, not yet. Okay. Although Carmen comes in. Okay. So Kiko was a an apprentice to Picasso. I, this is like really? the legend that I know. Okay. Really? Yeah. So um, as far as I know, <laughs> this will be clarified, I'm sure. Email us at catholicstuff at gmail.com. Email us at father.nathangobel at uh, Cabrini. I don't know his email. So, so Kiko... Leaves a life of art because he's not finding it um, to be satisfying, right? And he doesn't really like picture his career, his life in uh, down this road. So he goes to live with the poorest of the poor in Madrid, and he lives in kind of the shanty towns of Madrid. And he's trying to be a devout Catholic, and he realizes that um, you can do good for the poor. Um, feeding them, providing them with shelter, trying to raise money for giving them money and these kinds of things. But he saw that it wasn't really the lack of money that was the worst thing in the lives of the poor. But the fact that they had uh, 
no sense of their own dignity, that they had no um, love and meaning in their life, and they had no sense of future in a world that put all of your um, meaning and hope in success. He says, this, the poor will never have that. The poor will always be with you. So what the, what the poor need is Jesus. They need God. They need uh, a real sense of religion that dignifies them, that gives them life and meaning and, and beauty in their lives. So he started playing his guitar and doing his art, gathering people, and starting doing, started doing um, catechesis. So Kiko had been a student, and and then his friend Carmen, who comes in and picks up, in who I think was Madrid. working kind of simultaneously, right? Yeah, in the shanty towns, right? So they're both, and, and they both get together, and they both do a reflection on. Um, so this is Carmen Hernandez, uh, another woman who had kind of left the world to to do work in the in the shanty towns of Madrid. They started doing reflection on the early church and its. Um, program of catechesis. Okay, so in the early church, you had a very long process of formation before you're baptized a Christian. Um, this could go up to I don't know, 15, 20 years. It could go, it could last to the end of your life. Now, there was a, some ambiguity about some people who thought if I become a Christian, I want it to be right at the end of my life because then all your sins are forgiven and then you die in this good state or whatever. But um, it wasn't every... Everybody had to go through a long process of catechesis. Now, remember, most people are not Christian in this early world. So the Christians are this small group that are meeting together in small communities and then evangelizing their friends, but they have to do this long process of formation. Okay? So... They're looking at this, especially looking at Cyril of Jerusalem, a bishop who wrote a lot of things about the catechetical process and um, teaching people prayers, teaching people about the liturgical life of, of the church, and um, bringing them in slowly. And, uh, and there's a lot of creativity, processions, devotions, teaching prayers, all kinds of things that are involved in the process of bringing people into the church that are beautiful and, like, really formative. Okay, so um, they start reflecting on these things, and they say, well, why don't we just start doing ongoing formation? Okay, these people are already baptized. Mm -hmm. Everybody in Spain is a Catholic, basically, you know? But they're just baptized, and then they don't really live anything profound after baptism, you know, Mm -hmm. after their children. So they start doing... Um, Turn your mic up a little bit. What is there it? you go. Okay, Am perfect. Am I quiet? Just a little quiet. There you go. Okay. Maybe get closer to the mic. This is just so good. We can't. Uh, <laughs> we can't. Okay. We can't miss this. Now. Okay. So then, uh, they're doing formation of these small groups, and um, it brings a lot of life to people. It brings people out of themselves, out of their misery, out of their uh, the the misery that they found in their poverty. Right. So I don't know how to explain that. They they're not any less poor but they're a lot less poor. They become rich. They become rich with virtues. They become rich with uh, the beauty of art and music and a life of reflecting on important things like religion and philosophy. And they all get to take a part, you know? So this was convicting and beautiful, and it grew and grew and grew. Um, It became an official movement of of the church. I think that's 1964, the, 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 the date I quoted before. 
64 um, became a movement? I think it became a movement in okay. 64. Um, and then it started spreading. So from parish to parish, you had these small groups that would send missionaries into local parishes starting in Europe and um, just going from door to door telling people, I want to announce to you the gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. and invite you to be a part of a small community that does ongoing catechesis and formation. Okay, so they do this thing. Eventually, obviously, years and years and years later, they um, they have a whole worldwide movement of ca- post-baptismal catechesis in parishes um, 40,000 communities throughout the world, and a million, over 100 seminaries uh, throughout the world. They're taking from these small communities vocations, young people who are saying, I'd like to serve Jesus with everything. And then they ship them all over the world to mm-hmm. be missionaries. Mm-hmm. Some of them ended up in Denver and a lot of other places and uh, were formed at a seminary there, a neocatechumenal way seminary and then have become priests for our local church. Mm-hmm. And this is happening everywhere in the mm-hmm. world, right? And then uh, small communities continue to be established in parishes throughout the, um, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a Catholic right now, the reason I said this is Catholic stuff you should know and wanted to talk about it, if you're a Catholic now, you've probably run into some neocatechumenal way uh, movements in your parishes or nearby or right. some people who are involved. And you should know who they are, and you shouldn't hold them in suspicion. That's one of the problems with... Well, they are a little bit controversial. I don't are. really want to get too deep into that. But. Well, here's what I'll just say. You know, movements... You can talk about these things abstractly. Um, what is this movement, and, you know, such and such, is this legit, and such and such. But then you can talk about it concretely in people, and I'll just share very briefly um, my experience of spending two years with a guy named... Father Felix Medina Al-Gaba. When I would get in fights with him, I'd call him Medina Al-Qaeda as a joke, which he never really thought was very funny. But I thought it was was funny. From southern Spain. Felix is one of the finest Christians I've ever met. And I told him that one time. Um, And he's a wild ass of a man. He he is. is. But uh, he was my pastor. He still is the pastor, Queen of Peace in Aurora. And, um, but I say that, and I remember, I remember thinking, I remember coming to that conclusion, like, this is a real Christian, like, this guy's really doing it. Mm. And there were several things about him that really struck me. And, and again, this is what, the way was just kind of this abstract thing, it was just kind of this random seminary next to us, and kind of different, it was, everything was just different. But when I met Felix and heard his story and started to live with him, I realized this is a guy who is deeply focused in living from the word and is radically missionary. Every Wednesday night, he still does this. He goes door to door in our neighborhood. I mean, how many Catholic priests do you know of who every week go door to door and talk to the neighbors and just announce Christ and, and get to know the neighborhood? And I mean, it's just like... That kind of stuff, he would do that kind of stuff, and he wouldn't talk about it at the parish, but I was like, this is this guy's the real deal. Mm, yeah. And so there's something that they've distilled from the essence of the Christian life that I saw in him that I was I was just deeply inspired by, and I said, yeah, this is, I need to start oh, yeah. picking it up in my own life. So It's deep. And basically, the way it goes in a parish is that they'll go in, 
They'll evangelize. They'll do this door-to-door stuff. They'll just invite people. Mostly they're getting ex-Catholics who aren't practicing anymore, but for whatever reason feel estranged from the church, but have enough curiosity or they have the grace moving to want to come and learn more. So uh, they'll gather a group. They'll do catechesis, initial catechesis, where they'll just proclaim the, the kerygma. This is the, sto- this is the basic story. Um, the world has fallen. Jesus has come to save us. He can do that. He can bring hope and, and resurrection to your life. And, um, but you have to come and, and follow him. Right. And um, with those who are convicted of this, of this, uh, this kerygma, they do ongoing formation, a formation that begins with um, groups of about 30, well, the maximum is 30. And, um, but they'll walk through um, formation. They'll learn about the Bible. They'll learn about prayers. They'll learn about all kinds of things. Um, sing together, pray together, grow together in friendship, share their lives together, eat together, pray Mass together, all of these things for almost 15 years. And um, to finish the to finish the way it takes, it, it's really just a matter of when does each community walk the whole way and um, consider themselves done. But the goal is eventually to turn you into a a, a Catholic who whose life is given to Jesus Christ and to His mission. Right. And a lot of them will just up and go on mission eventually. I've seen whole families who are very comfortable who have just sold everything and then gone off on mission. Um, very generous people like Father Felix and others. Father Angel was, is my friend from over here, um, who just are living in across the world to, to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. Right. It's profound. It's really beautiful. Uh, they usually meet Saturday nights and have a different Mass than the rest of the parish. That can annoy a lot of Catholics. They seem like a separate group. They're sometimes a little mysterious. So sometimes local parishes get annoyed by them or upset or something like that. And um, they have been controversial, but I'm all for it. I love it. I think it's a great um, creative solution to um, reaching out to people who are estranged from the church. Okay, top five. Top five. You ready? Give it to me. Uh, so this is. These are. The, Five things that I think they do especially well in our modern church, in our contemporary time in our church. They address some of the needs, particularly of the church in Europe, but I think throughout the world. And it's been successful in lots of different places throughout the world for a number of reasons. Here's some of them. Number one, break it down. Break it down. Small communities. Yeah, amen. I grew up in a parish of 20,000 people. I didn't know anybody. I recognized a few faces that go to the same mass at the same hour that I go to in that same section of the church. I didn't know their names. I don't know anything about their lives. They don't know me. Uh, I can't depend on them in struggles. I can't share my joys with them. There was no sense of Christian community that doesn't come from a smaller community. Right Now, sometimes I was involved in some things... A little group of with my friends at school. Um, a uh, there was a youth group at my parish that kind of breaks it down. Right. My parents were involved in a Bible study or a prayer group. These kinds of things to break it down. Those are effective. I'm all for that. But 
one thing I've really learned from this group is you got to have small communities and you have to spend time together. Yeah. All right. I like that. And I, I, I think that's right on. And the problem is in the last 20 years, what is, what have we been doing in the United States? We've been moving towards the mega church thing, you know, which even in the evangelical world, they're not doing the mega church thing anymore. It's kind of declining into this emerging yeah. church. Yeah. It's all about breaking it down. They're breaking it down, but we, we have built these monster churches, um, and yeah, you you lose you lose people big time. Like yeah. you're saying, that's that's the experience of most Catholics who go to these parishes, is like you were saying. So, I and like it's it. that I like sense it. that the community has to gather around the priest and whatever the priest is doing. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough priests. There's lots of Catholics who really want to be good Catholics. A lot of you out there want to be good Catholics. But we've formed a sense that the only way that they know how to grow is go ask the priest, right. get involved in whatever he's doing. Right. And so this this is um, this is something that requires leadership. Somebody has to be well formed in order to start it. Right. So that's kind of a dilemma. But I think there's a lot of Catholics out there who are well formed, who are just afraid to to, to uh, exercise leadership and to start small communities. Um, to do formation for other people, to help other people learn how to pray or catechize them or anything like that. No? If I'm not a priest, I'm not a nun, then I'm afraid. No? So get some courage. Break it down. Mi piace. Secondo. Secondo. Eat together. Uh. Okay? This is a very human experience. Eating, drinking, hanging out, doing things together that you enjoy. Okay? Eating together is like a fundamental one. The, the earliest Christian uh, communities we know prayed the Mass together, and then they had meals together. And the, the formation of the community comes from both. They're praying together, they're sharing this meal, and, uh, and then on, on the side, they're just doing what human beings do together. We eat. We have to eat. It's a communal time. It's a, it's a time to interact and a cultural time. So, um, yeah, I think it's brilliant. The, after their masses in, uh, on Saturday night, they have a big meal together, and it's very formative. Mm-hmm. You get to know people. Mm-hmm. You get to know what they like to eat. Yeah. Meats, beers. Pasta. Not gelato. Not gelato. No, and the companions, I mean, our, our little priest group, this is a big part of it. We really value meals. Right. common meals and the whole history of the priesthood also is centered around uh, one of the the key pillars of it is meals in common and it's precisely for for this reason when we were all together 2 weeks ago every night sitting around you know and uh it was something something takes place and you want to break you want to break the family apart well the nepple family it fell apart when sports took over and we stopped having meals together at yeah. night and and we we didn't really know what we were doing, but that's you want to destroy a family, go after the meals, so. yeah, or any community. Yeah, here, I mean, sometimes meals are difficult, <laughs> places of conversation, but it actually brings people together in a way that otherwise we probably wouldn't. Absolutely. And religious life can be so individualistic, sometimes really in a detrimental way. That can be really dangerous. Just me and Jesus. Yeah. It's not about the community. Well, it is about the community, but there is something that is so personal that when you go to Mass, it shouldn't be 
this is the place where I have to socialize. Or right. This is the place where I'm encountering everybody. No, this is a prayer between you and God, and right. it's a profound time for each individual. So there needs to be something outside. Eat meals together. Good. Uh, break it down. Eat meals together. Sing together. Now, this one, uh, I, I don't know how to explain why I think this is so formative, but it is. It works for the companions, yeah. for us priests. Yeah. It's a part of the Catholic tradition forever that we sing together. I think it's something very human that we don't do very often together, um, at least not in the, the culture that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I've traveled around the world, and um, at times when you're just sitting around in Africa, you just start singing right. and like dancing and playing music. That's just... A, kind of a normal communal thing and nobody's like looking at you like oh you're not on key or something you You just start singing yeah it's it's human it's like eating together yeah it's so cultural it's so important it's very formative of their community and i think potentially formative of any yeah i remember when we you know we the companions we keep talking about this this priest group when we inherited this from St. Paul, this was a big priority for them. And it was foreign to us, you know. Yeah. We, we didn't grow up in charismatic renewal uh, communities. That we didn't really understand it. But we all were reflecting on it, and we said, "This is there's something about this, about singing together, that is important for this brotherhood. And I think it's true with any Christian community. It's just to be able... There's a vulnerability that comes yeah, with it. I think that's... Praying in this... Vulnerability. Um, and there's just something powerful. Augustine says that, right? He who yeah. sings well, Praise prays twice. twice. Yeah. So and shares himself. Yeah. You know, there is that vulnerability that, uh, and a kind of a creativity exercise of that artistic piece. Yeah. So sing together. Um, four is mission, common mission. Uh, they go when they go to door to door. Now, this might not be true for Father Felix, but. Normally, the normative practice for their community is that they go two by two. He'd go with somebody always. Anywhere, yeah. anywhere you go, you go two by two, and you share mission together. There is something so profound, uh, profoundly unifying mm-hmm. about common mission that I don't know how to express except to say I've experienced this with priest brothers who are sharing the same life and the same desire to sanctify the world, to help people. Um, when you're working together, something just brings you together. Yeah. Yeah, this week we got bright and early tomorrow. Yeah. Mass for the Polish nuns here. And we're doing it together. Why? Because it's like, it's just not, it. it's not best to just divvy up priests and send them out as wide as you can or lay people as well. You got to gotta be doing it together. Yeah, shared mission. It forms something in us together, yeah. Yeah, it's as early as the apostolic times, and it's potentially so much more fruitful. Yeah. Um, so work mission together. Um, I guess in a, in a practical way, I don't know who I'm talking to with this audience, but uh, a lot of Catholics have a lot of things that they do individually for the sake of other people. And um, if you go to Habitat for Humanity, bring a friend, do it together. If you go and you street evangelize, if you go and you pray the rosary at the church, go make a holy hour at your local adoration chapel. Um, If you're going to church and you usually go alone, bring somebody along with you. Share your mission. Make it a part of other people's lives. They will value that. You will benefit. 
Wonderful. And you got nothing to lose, you know what I mean? I think a lot of times, at least if, if people are like me, you, you get nervous asking people, oh, I don't want to inconvenience them or I don't want to pressure them. And it's like, what? You got nothing to lose. Yeah. It's the Catholic you've been sitting in the pew next to for the last decade. It's like, why don't you get crazy and do something radical and do it with them and invite them into it, you know? Yeah. Or that person at work, you know, who's a fallen away Catholic. Invite them to come to Mass with you and then have dinner together afterwards. Like, yeah. you got nothing to lose by asking these things. But we and just always, get so afraid yeah. Or, yeah, of impeding on their whatever. Freedom. It's true. Yeah, oh, they're kind you know, I don't... It, it offends people. To, look... You always have an excuse. You just say, oh, I have to do this alone. Right. You know, people are nice. Right. Uh, we just talked about that in the last podcast. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll help you out. They'll yeah. come along. Even if it's just like, I have no interest in that, but I'm interested in getting to know you more. Yeah. You know? So, you, yeah. I don't know. Whatever you got to do. Share that mission. Um, finally, the fifth is that they challenge each other. They have an incredible oh, yeah. honesty. Yeah. And this is maybe the most remarkable thing when you get to know the neocatechumenal way. Um, that they, most Catholics fear the judgment of other Catholics. Mm-hmm. You've got to put on a good face. You've got to say the right things, do the right things, look the part. Mm-hmm. I'm holy. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to try to show myself as holy. Our family's perfect. Yeah. Right. Our family's perfect. Look how good they kneel. Mm-hmm. Look how dressed up we are, whatever. And I'm not suggesting that you just go you know, everybody should be bums or obnoxious or something at church. But when these people get to know each other through small community, they begin very early to challenge each other and to be, uh, to be very vulnerable with each other. They will confess their sins publicly. Um, well, I don't know. That might be a part of a step along the way. And, it can be a very formal thing. So I don't right. want to get them in trouble by right. saying right. Or, or giving you the impression that they don't confess to the priests because right. they do. Um, but they will share their weaknesses and say, this gets in the way of my walk with Jesus. Right. And I do this stuff all the time. I'm selfish at work like this. I hurt my family like this. And then they, then they support each other. But also you learn very quickly, you're not alone. Right. You know, because I'm afraid to say I'm a jerk. Um, and I do this stuff in the community that I live with. Uh, I annoy people. I, um, I'm selfish. I'm arrogant. But when I hear somebody else admit that, and honestly, then I can much more easily say, okay, yeah, I struggle with that too, right. but I don't want to. Right. So they have this incredible uh, vulnerability and honesty with each other. And then they actually allow each other to say, okay, well, what are you going to do about that? Right. How are you going to change? Yeah. Jesus is calling you to change. So it's an incredibly useful um, kind of moral program as well yeah. that builds virtue. I uh, Going back to Father Felix, that was the thing that struck me the most about him, was his ability to receive criticism from me, and even when I would do it badly, because he was in a community that was... They were really helping each other grow in self-knowledge, and they were doing it boldly, you know. And sometimes you do it badly. Sometimes you call people out. It's it's too forceful or maybe even wrong, but, but you, you're you doing it together. And there's that deep yeah. sense of forgiveness and, uh, and um, I don't know, just it was different. It was different with him. So I'm with and you. And, yeah, when you start, you realize, okay, the young ones, the ones who are just starting, mm-hmm. they love to see faults in everybody else. Right. 
and they're calling it out, and right. it's really annoying, and it can be really painful. Right. Like, oh, you're accusing me of being such a bad person all the time. Right. But eventually, they learn through that, maybe through that experience, oh, I have faults of my own, and they're really a problem. And there's, there's a real sense and growth in awareness of sin that becomes very healthy. These become people that you can relate to, yeah. people you can feel comfortable with, because they're aware of, I'm not perfect, you know, and I yeah. don't have to pretend to be perfect or make you feel less perfect when you're around me. These yeah. things. So Good those stuff. are five five things I've learned from. I like your five. Yeah, I really do. You. I don't mean to compromise thank them at you. the end here. Well, I I should thank the the neocatechumen away. Right. Um, I really feel like I'm a better Christian and a better priest for having known you. And I'm not a member, but I um, I really appreciate the movement. So, and, and there's w- a lot of other movements that way. So, and I, I want to thank that. I would say the same thing to Father Felix and Father Anibal, who I spent my two years with. Father William, who I spent my summer with. These guys are great men, and I love. I do love the way. And Kiko's book. Everybody should read Kiko's book. Have you seen that thing? I I'm forgetting the name of it now. Just Ignatius Press put out Kiko Guerrero's book. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name no, of it. No, I have seen it. But it's, but I, it's I very, it's his story. It's very simple. It's very short. Very, very inspiring. Uh, deeply edifying. So Beautiful. Well done. Shout outs. Shout outs. I took that podcast way longer than you wanted. Uh, this is from Kevin uh, Walesa. I almost said Valesa. He said, I'd like a shout out for my diocesan brother. That must be a seminarian. William Gable. And myself. Uh, who rely on your podcast as we make the 8 to 11 hour drive back and forth from our seminary in Miami to our home diocese Pensacola, Tallahassee that's how big Florida is 8 to 11 hours, that's crazy that's a big drive for Kevin and William, thanks for listening weaving around alligators weaving around alligators and uh, we hope you're safe uh, and we're praying for your vocations boys and then Ian Siski Ian Siski in Sydney, Australia I was sitting with four Aussies today. We were talking about philosophy. Talking about the diocese of Walla Walla. Walla Walla. He, uh, Ian says, uh, oh, this is from Giselle Oscuro. His name's Oscuro, right? Isn't that darkness in, yeah. in Italian? Giselle Oscuro said of his friend Ian, he's a great guy and loves doing puzzles. You know who else loved doing puzzles? I do. And Hanser Hanser's von oh, Balthazar. That's right. Well. So he's you're in good company. Thanks for listening. You got any? Oh, <laughs> shout out to um, Bill Donovan was a, a model Catholic in my parish and has been a good friend that's really kept up with me over the years. And uh, he's been sending me emails, just I don't know, bi-monthly, a few a few emails all the time and then <laughs> I really appreciate hearing from him and uh, I know that he listens occasionally so Bill nice. thank you God bless you thanks for being a friend nice alright well I think that's it I think you had a really good it. podcast and then I decided to make a new podcast at the end of that so I, I want to apologize and no it's it. good because I was talking and talking no it's, it's good I'm salty I haven't slept in like four days well, welcome to jet lag, my friends. Uh, we're gonna be next time. We're gonna be refreshed. We're gonna be positive, encouraging. Caleb, we're gonna be ready to go. So that's it for tonight, though. CatholicStuffPodcastGmail.com. Thanks. Like for us listening. on Facebook. Spread the word. We'll talk to you soon.